You know, we put this uh, back up because we're covering the tabernacle. And uh, this is a replica of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And we, Vi and I, put this all together by hand. And um, the gate that the children of Israel would come to in order to uh, bring their sacrifice, like the little lamb we have here, and uh, they would come in and lay their hands on it, confessing their sins, and the priest would take the sacrifice, and he would slaughter it on these tables and you know, take the skin off, and then they would put the meat on this uh, altar, this brazen altar, where they would burn the sacrifice. And then after the sacrifice was burned, on the Day of Atonement, the priest then would come to the brazen lever, and he would wash himself clean. And after he washed himself clean, the priest then, the high priest, he would be able to enter in to the tabernacle itself. And the tabernacle was covered with three layers. First, you have the badger skin, or, um, and this was to represent the flesh, the outer man. And you can kind of see it on here. And then after that, you had a red covering, which represented the blood that was being shed for the forgiveness of sin. And then you had a white covering, which represented the purity that we have through Jesus Christ. And then the inside covering was actually of the Shekinah or the angels of God. And uh, so every part of it had a meaning. And so then after the priest was washed in the brazen lever, now he was able to enter into the first chamber of the tabernacle called the holy place. And in there, the only reason he could see was because of the menorah. And, um, you know, there were candlesticks much larger than this. In fact, when we were in Israel, the Temple Institute already has all of the articles for the, new, for the third temple. They're done. They're ready to take up, including the robes. They actually found... There's a snail that they get the blue dye from, and they found that to dye the robes of the priests. But anyway, the only reason they could see is because of this menorah. The real menorah is like this. It was so dark in there, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, but it was covered with gold. And so when the menorah was lit, you could see very brightly in there. And so then you had the menorah, which is on this side. On this side is the table of showbread. And Jesus, of course, is the bread of life. And then you went and you had the altar of incense. And incense represents the prayers of the saints. And from there you could go into the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was the very presence of God. Now this has a lot of meaning to you and I as believers because we have to understand what Jesus did for us. He's the one who entered through the gate. And it's only through him. He is <clears throat> the gate of the sheep pen. Excuse me. <clears throat> it's only through him that you and I can enter in. Then he himself gave himself as a sacrifice. And he is the one in the brazen altar who washes us with the water of the word by, and also by his blood. We are, wa we are washed clean that allows us to enter in. And the menorah is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, and through him we can see. And he gives us the table of showbread, which is the bread of life, the word of God. And then through that and through our knowledge of him and through our salvation, we're able to come to the altar of incense and lift up our prayers to God and go into his very presence. Because we know when Jesus was crucified on the cross, it makes it very clear, very, very clear, 
that that veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where the presence of God was, was torn in two from top to bottom at the moment Jesus died on the cross. So now, you and I as believers, we have greater privilege than the priests. We can enter right in. Every one of us is a royal priesthood, First Peter. We can enter right into the presence of God. What a blessing that is. It's such an amazing thing. So if you haven't had a chance, you might want to come and, and look at this tabernacle that, uh, that we put together. And one of the things that was interesting is in the tabernacle building itself, there was not one nail. Not one nail. And when we built this, that's the way it was. The boards would go together, and then you would have these, uh, uh, what would they call them? They went on the top. These canopies would go on the top or top ends, and that would hold all the boards together. And then you had uh, another board that came down that slid over it to hold it fast. And uh, that's how the tabernacle was actually held together. There wasn't any nails. And I think, to me anyway, it's significant because the only time we, we see nails in our worship is, are the nails that Jesus took for you and I. He died on the cross. So amazing. Okay, I um, thought we're having... Okay, our announcements. Let me go through these. All right. Um, there's going to be a registration, new registration for Secret Sisters. And if any of you ladies have never been part of Secret Sisters, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, what's, what's the age? 12 to 120. You can be part of Sacred Sisters. And it's just an amazing thing. You, you, you pick someone, another female's name. You pray for one another without them knowing it. And it's just amazing how the Lord blesses it. And there's a basket out there if you want to give little, you know, small gifts to one another. Throughout that whole period, you can do that. And then at the end, they have a banquet, Secret Sisters banquet. And so we encourage you to sign up for that. And also, our adult dinner night out this... There's letters out there on the table that explains all about it. That's my wife's nice way of saying you're really blowing it, how you're trying to explain it. Also, um, the scheduled... Uh, the, the adult dinner night out, make sure you sign up for that. It's going to be the 14th in Liverpool at the retreat. And also, uh, we have a scheduled work bee, which will be the 18th. And we re really encourage you to come. I mean, there's a lot of things that we need to do in order to keep our church looking nice and, and to keep it up. And we're not a big fellowship, so we can't afford to you know, hire it out. So we encourage you to come and be part of it. And in the message that I'm sharing with you today, hopefully I'll bring great conviction on you and you'll feel like you have to come. But... Uh, anyway, I'm joking. Well, actually, I'm not. Um, and also, there's going to be a prophecy conference at Calvary Chapel of the Finger Lakes. And that's the 24th through the 25th. And um, you can sign up online. They have great speakers coming. But we do have a sign-up sheet out here because I am able to get great rates for hotel rooms. So if you want to go, it's a Friday and Saturday, so you really... You know, you don't have to take much time off. If you do have to take time off at all, it's a Friday and Saturday. Sign up so I know if you're coming. And uh, also there's going to be a marriage retreat and a Casa Wasco. And any of you who went to the women's retreat or the men's retreat, that's where it's going to be. And this marriage retreat is in, a, in the Galilee, which is a nice building. Every couple has their own room and their own bathroom. It's not like when we had the men's retreat and the women's retreat and everybody shared everything. 
And uh, so we really need to know how many are going to see if we have enough to reserve it. So there's a sign-up sheet out there in the foyer. Put your names down. And I'll tell you what. A marriage retreat is such an opportunity for you and your spouse to really connect with the Lord. And so we encourage you to consider that. And there's also um, on the welcome desk, there's a whole flyer about the marriage retreat. If you want to read about it, it tells you everything. And I think those are all the announcements that I have to make. And so if you want to open your Bibles along with me to Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4. And we'll be picking up in verse 29. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your love. How thankful we are, Father, for the way that you just so graciously watch over us. And I ask, Father, that as we break open this portion of Scripture, it would be your Holy Spirit who speaks to our hearts and encourages us. Help us, Father, to walk in all your ways and not in the ways of the flesh. And I pray and ask all this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm going to have to take my coat off. I'm sorry that it just keeps moving the headpiece all over. Don't get excited. That was a joke. I'm being funny. I, I want people sitting there thinking, oh, this guy's weird. Okay, I am weird. But anyway, Numbers chapter 4. You know, as um, we're going to find as we look through this, and Pastor Frank Jr. mentioned this a little bit in the first service, is that the numbering of the Levites was a little bit different than the numbering of the, of the 12 tribes. In the numbering of the 12 tribes, they numbered all males 20 years and up. And in the numbering of the Levites, they were numbered from 30 to 50. And there's a reason for that, because the 12 tribes were for the purpose of battle. They were the ones that would fight the enemies and so forth. And so consequently, they were just looking for men that were at an age where they could begin fighting for their, for their nation. That was 20, and on up through. Where in the service to the Lord, you had to be 30 years old. Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. A priest had to be 30 years old. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law perfectly. And so that was the age that they began. And as far as the workers of the tabernacle were concerned, the cutoff age was 50 which is kind of nice to think of the 50-year-old retirement, right? That was the cutoff age. And uh, also we're going to find in this portion is that God is very specific in what each person had to do. And the thing that's important for us to understand concerning that is that God has, is always specific about everything. God knows every star in the sky, and he knows them by name, Scripture tells us. And you might say, do you really believe that? Absolutely, 100%. You know, we have uh, astronomers that are discovering new stars. Guess what? They're not new, and Jesus already named them. You know, we can put all of our silly names on them we want. Jesus already named them. Scripture even says he knows the number of hairs in our head. That's how specific the Lord is. He knows everything that there is about all creation, including everything there is to know about us. And this is the reason that in spite of all of our infirmities and, and all of our imperfections, Jesus loves us anyway. It's amazing. So we're picking up in Numbers chapter 4, verse 29. 
There were the Kohathites, the Gerashites, and the Merathites. And they were the ones who actually took care of the physical work around the tabernacle. And then you had Aaron and his sons, and they were the ones who were the priests that actually did the work inside the tabernacle. All the other Levites took care of the physical property itself, and the Levites are the ones who took care of the worship on the inner sanctuary. As for the sons of Merari, uh, you shall number them by their families and by their father's house. From 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, you shall number them, everyone who enters the service to do the work of the tabernacle of meetings. And this is what you must uh, carry as all... And this is what they must carry as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting. The boards, and if you look, the boards on the outside of the tabernacle, underneath all the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, that's what held them in place, its pillars, and its sockets. Those are the things I was trying to talk about that hold the boards top and bottom in place. And uh, the pillars around the court with their sockets, pegs, and cord. And with all the furnishings and their, and their service. And you shall assign to each man, listen to this, each man by name the item that he must carry. Every single person had a job. No matter how menial that job might be, by name they were called to do that job. It's absolutely amazing. Because the Lord counts everyone. And he wants everyone to count, wants everyone to be part of his work. Verse 33, this is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, uh, as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting, under the authority of Ithmar, the son of Aaron, the priest. And Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites by their families and by their father's house from 30 years old and above even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the service for work of the tabernacle of meeting. And those who were numbered by their families were 2,750. Now, as we look at these numbers, notice how specific they are. The Bible doesn't just say somewhere around 2,000. It gives a very specific number showing how specific God is. Uh, Verse 37, these are the ones who were numbered by their families of the Kohathites all who uh, were to serve in the tabernacle of meetings, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according uh, to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And those who were numbered of the sons of Gershon, these are the Gershonites, by their families and their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who um, entered the service for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, those who were numbered by their families by their father's house, were 2,630. These are the ones who were numbered of the families of the sons of Gershon uh, for, all, uh, for all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord. Those of the families of the sons of Merari who were numbered by their family, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who entered the, entered the service of the work of the tabernacle of meetings. Those who were numbered by the families were 3,200. Um, these were uh, 4,000 and, uh, I'm sorry, 3,200. These are the ones who were numbered by the families of the sons of Merari, 
whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. All who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel numbered by their families and by their father's house from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who came to do the work of the service and work on bearing the burdens in the tabernacle of meeting. Those who were numbered were 8,580, very specific, according to the commandment of the Lord. They were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service and according to his task. Thus were they numbered by him as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, one of the things you notice, as I mentioned a little, little bit earlier, in Numbers 3.15, it was every male from a month old. But in this portion, in Numbers chapter 4, verse 30, they were, they were numbered from 30 years old and up to 50. And the reason is, there was a specific age they had to be to enter the service and a specific age they had to be to end their service in the work of the tabernacle. And what this speaks to you and I uh, about is the very fact that the Lord desires us to be his workers. But from the time we are newborn Christians, we become his, and we are called to serve him. Because remember, the Levites, that portion I read at the beginning, when you're taking the whole population, they numbered the males from one month old. So from the time we're brand new Christians, we're called of God to serve him. But it was when they became mature, 30 years of age, that they actually went into service to the Lord. And of course, what this speaks to us is that God desires us to be mature in our serving him. Now, maturity does not have anything to do with age in the Christian community. You know, as far as the Levites were concerned, they had to be 30 years of age. That was considered a time that they would come on to full maturity. Pastor Frank Jr. talked in the first service about how many things that we thought about and considered when we were in our 20s that are so different than we would now, you know, uh, at an older age. But yet maturity has really nothing to do with age as a, a believer, as a Christian. It has to do with our surrender and humility before the Lord. Because you could have someone who's 20 years old and completely given to the Lord, and they're mature than, more mature than some, some uh, guy who's 70 years old and, and really isn't fully surrendered to the Lord. So our maturity as believers is based on surrender, is based on our faith in God much more than just numerical years. And um, because that idea... In fact, uh, it's interesting, in 1 Timothy 3.6, it says... As far as the pastor is concerned, listen to what it says. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. <laughs> so in other words, a man going into the ministry shouldn't be just some new believer, some novice. You know, in other words, young in the Lord. Not necessarily young in years, but young in the Lord, because he can go into it and get all puffed up. But he's supposed to be more mature in the Lord before he goes into service. Because it's an easy thing when you go into full-time ministry, when you go into this kind of service to the Lord, to get puffed up and to think you're something special. But you have to understand that we're, pastors are nothing but servants. They're servants of the flock for the purpose of feeding the flock the word of God. 
but it's the Holy Spirit who applies what I give to you, to your heart and to your life. He's the one who gives nutritional value to what I share. It's always the Lord. It's not me. I'm just a sinner saved by grace like any of you. The only reason that I have any difference in my calling is that I'm called. <laughs> you know, God called and set me aside to be a pastor. And so consequently, that's what I do. My job is to feed you the word and the truth, not my own thoughts. Now, the reason they were numbered only up to 50 years of age is because these workers of the tabernacle were different than the other priests. The other priests, they had no age cut off. They could serve before the Lord until they died, you know, because they were the ones who carried the sacrifice in and, you know, and, and went into the holy place and they kept the menorah going and took care of the showbread and so forth and offered prayers in the altar of incense. So they weren't doing physical labor, so they had no age cut off. But those who did the physical labor, they had an age cut off. Because you have to understand, you, know, you look at a tabernacle like this, and you think, what did they need all those people for? One of those posts would have weighed probably 150 to 200 pounds. So you had all those people to carry it. And even like um, the brazen, uh, the, the uh, altar sacrifice that we have there, the bronze altar sacrifice, that probably weighed 1,000 pounds. And we look at our little model, and it just has these short little posts on it, like there's four people carrying it. No. They would have been long posts that they put through it, and you probably would have had on, on each post maybe eight or ten guys that carried it. And so it was hard manual labor. And so consequently, at 50 years old, they were counted out of service. And they probably, as, as Pastor Frank Jr. mentioned, they probably mentored some of the younger priests you know, that were in charge of the tabernacle, but they were retired at that age. And the thing is, retirement's a good thing, right? Amen? <laughs> retirement's a good thing. And the fact is that um, I, I think it's necessary for many people. But as far as the ministry, for instance, the pastoral ministry, there is no retirement. I don't believe there is a retirement age for a pastor. Now, if a pastor becomes disabled for any reason, then, of course, then he's able to step aside. But I always tell everyone that my retirement program is death. And, and everybody laughs because it is kind of funny, but I'm dead serious about it. That's my retirement program. I have no intention. How do I retire from a call to ministry? Now, you guys retire from your work, and that's wonderful, and that's great, so that you can do more work here. But anyway, that's the retirement program that we're talking about here. And um, notice how spe specific the Lord is as far as the uh, uh, Merarites. Um, Marys were concerned. Marys were concerned. Um, they had to carry out all the services of the tabernacle, pillars and, and, and posts and, and also sockets and the pegs and, and cords and, and everything else. They, they had to carry everything specific. And it told us in this portion of Scripture that they were assigned a specific job by name. By name. They're, they had a in other words, okay, uh, you know, Eleazar, you carry two tent pegs. That's your job. When it's time to take the tabernacle down, you grab those two tent pegs and take them down. Now, any of you who are old enough 
to remember the circus coming to town when it used to be the old-fashioned circus coming to town. Probably not many of you were old enough. But it was a big thing. The circus came to town. All the people from the community would come and watch. And they would put the big top up in less than an hour. And it was a big top. But they would put it up so quickly because each man and woman knew exactly what they had to do. And boom, they did it together. And the same thing is true as far as the tabernacle in the wilderness. Each one was called by name. They knew specifically what they had to do, what they were supposed to do. And, um, you know, it's just like with our uh, church work bee that's coming up the 18th. It's an opportunity for us to serve, to do something for the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing when the people in the fellowship know exactly what they're going to do when they know exactly what their job might be. I mean, we have some people in our church now, all of you could point to and name them, we won't do that. But they have certain things that they do every week, we don't even think about it. We go downstairs and we just have a wonderful coffee hour every week, and we say, oh, this is great. But we have to remember that there are workers that are down there every week. They take care of supplying everything for the coffee hour, getting it all cleaned up and set up and and serving us. How wonderful it is when we know what God has called us to do. And the fact is that in a facility like ours, we need help every once in a while. That's why we have church work bees. I hope all of you come because there are many things. I just gave uh, John, he's one of the elders of Building and Grounds, I just gave him a list of things, and there's a lot of things that have to be done. And that is how we work together in order to keep up the facility God has called us to gather in. It's absolutely amazing. And don't think that any task is too menial. Like you might think, well, how big a deal is it to take care of the tent pegs? Well, think about this. If you didn't have tent pegs, the whole thing would fall down. The tabernacle would fall down. And if the tabernacle fell down, you had no place to come and and, uh, worship the Lord. And so every little menial job that you might think is menial is important. In fact, maybe they're the most important because... I only carry 10 pigs. Yeah, and you're responsible for holding the whole thing up. So I'm glad you do carry a 10 pig and take care of it. Now, the purpose of all these specific assignments that God has given here was for those times that they were to move the tabernacle. This big tabernacle, you have to understand, at times, at many times, were picked up and moved to a new location. And when they moved the tabernacle, it was because the Lord led them. Because the Shekinah, which is the glory of God, stood over the Holy of Holies. It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It stood over the Holy of Holies. And we're going to find out as we continue on in in Numbers is that whenever that pillar of cloud or fire would move, they were to pack up and move. They had to be ready. Here we go. And they had to pack everything up and move. And in the same sense, you and I as believers, we're not called to be stagnant, but we're called to be moved by the Lord, to do whatever he's calling us to do. Even in our fellowship, you know, like having the the marriage uh, retreat, having the secret sisters and, and work bees and stuff like that. Those are things the Lord's calling us to pick up and do. And we're supposed to follow him. Because the reality is, as we do the work of the, of the ministry, we're providing a place where people can come 
and be nourished and be encouraged in the Lord. Because our holy place, if you want to call it that, is not is just a building, but it's a place where we come and meet with a holy God. And it's a place where we come and the pastor shares the word of God to you in such a way, hopefully that you can understand it, and then the Holy Spirit, he will apply it to your lives. Because understand this, I'm not trying to be legalistic at all. But you have someone who says, I don't need church. I'm a believer, but I don't need church. I don't need to go to church. They're deceiving themselves. And their faith will start waning and will wax cold eventually. Church is necessary because it's one of the things the Lord desires to provide for us as a gift. Do not forsake the gathering of yourself together. And it tells us in that same portion, that this is in Thessalonians, tells us in that same portion that the reason that we gather together is that we might be encouraged in the Lord. How are we encouraged? By the word of God. And we encourage one another. And that day is fast approaching. Very, not only, it's very fast approaching as well. I mean, all the things, the vastness of everything in Scripture that is prophesied concerning the last days is happening before our eyes, and yet at the same time, it's very close, and we have to be ready. Well, as a believer, our being ready for his return isn't sitting you know, in a corner reading our Bible and sucking our thumb. In fact, First Thess- Thess- Thessalonians was written to the believers at Thessalonica, and it was all about every single chapter in First Thessalonians speaks of the, of the coming of the Lord. Well, the Thessalonians, they thought the Lord was coming right then during their time, and so they were all sitting up on a hill waiting for him. And that's why Paul wrote Second Thessalonians. And what he's saying is, the Lord is going to return, but you need to be doing the work of the ministry. Come down off that hill and get to work. Well, the same thing is true with us. The closer we see that day approaching, the more ambitious we should be in sharing our faith and spreading the light of Jesus Christ to the world around us. I mean, it's absolutely amazing to see what's going on. We're seeing things happening in in world history that we've never seen before. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. The things that are happening in the Middle East, all of the tension of the world is in the Middle East. And that's what the Bible says would be in the last days. And you have all the nations of Ezekiel 38 that were prophesied to be in alignment, to come against Israel. They're there. Russia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, they're all there, ready to come in from the north against Israel, just as was prophesied. It's about to happen. And so we know that when that... Ezekiel 38, invasion either begins or just before it begins, the Lord's going to take his church, you and I, out of this world through what is called the raptos. In the Latin, it means to be caught up, to be carried away. And it's interesting because the uh, the word raptos actually means to be violently taken away. And it doesn't mean violently like... (laughs) it It means you have no choice. You know, you're not going to be, well, wait a second, you know, boom, you're going to be gone. And so as a believer, you're going to be taken out of this world. And you're going to receive your glorified body. How amazing, you know, that is going to be. And then after that, 
God's judgment comes on the world. His wrath is poured out on this world. And during that time, many, many others will be saved. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us so many people will be saved during the tribulation that the Antichrist is going to have a whole method of identifying Christians to put them to death. That's how many Christians there will be. And so you might be saying, well, I share all this with my friends and they don't believe it. They think I'm out of my mind. Maybe they won't after the rapture comes. Maybe when God takes his church out of the world and all of a sudden there's no explanation where all these people went, maybe what we shared with them, they're, they're going to be thinking, well, maybe it's right. And so the seeds, what I'm trying to share with you is the seeds you're sowing right now, maybe you're not seeing the fruit of it at this moment, but the fruit is going to come. So be diligent. Get out there. Share your faith. Because the children of Israel, when they realized it was time for God to move, they didn't have any other plans. They didn't have any congregational meetings. They didn't get together and decide whether they should or shouldn't. When the Holy Spirit said move, they moved. When the pillar went, they went. And the same thing is true for you and I. Because Scripture says that we as believers are to be led by the Spirit. Not driven by the Spirit, but led by the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't beat us up. He leads us. It's up to us to follow. It's a willful choice that we make to follow Him. And uh, because, of course, the Lord doesn't call us to be stagnant. And it's easy to get stagnant. Do the same old thing, the same old way, the same, you know what I mean? Blah, 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 blah. You get kind of, it's nice to get frosted up a little bit. And every once in a while, the Lord does something or shows you something. It's exciting, you know, to be part of whatever it might be. And one of the things you, might un- you need to understand is that it could be just with you or just for you. Maybe you're having your time with the Lord. You're studying the Word, and all of a sudden, boom, it just opens up. Because we have to understand that when we're talking about the things of God, it's not just a philosophy. It's not just some nice religious movement that you're part of. It is not that at all. It is your eternal salvation. Be assured of this. Every single one of you, barring the rapture, will die. It's appointed unto every man once to die, and then judgment. Well, the wonderful thing is, if you're a believer, your judgment has already been determined before you die. Not guilty. To tell us die. Paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. You're covered. But if you're not a believer, your judgment is very serious. And so you and I have to realize that as Christians, we need to be in communion with the Lord. All the things of this world, you know what they're like? It's kind of like you're walking through life and you have like at your face and all over you. Follow me. Look at me. Take it, make attention. You know, take my attention. And in reality, all it is is just the distractions of this life. The only thing that really matters is your relationship with the Lord. And so many people want to think that, oh, well, Christianity is just an old-fashioned religion. There's really no background... Christianity is the way. Jesus is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And the eternal life that we have in him is just that. It's eternal life. 
I mean, our bodies give us expression of life, but the life we have is our cardiac, our inner man. It's in here. Who you are is your soul and spirit. This body just gives you expression. And so when the body dies, who you are, which is immaterial, doesn't die. It can't die. It's immaterial. It's your soul and spirit. And yet, those decisions that we make in this body are going to determine whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. And they're both real places. In the Gospel of Luke, we have an interesting account where Jesus is giving... It's not a parable, because the parable is kind of a made-up story in order to help give an example of, of a teaching that Jesus was doing. But this is an actual truth, because Jesus said that there was a rich man, and at his gate was a man named Lazarus. Study Scripture yourself to see if this isn't so. Jesus never gave an actual name when he was giving a parable or a simile or an example. So this was a real account. So anyway, you had this rich, rich man, and at his gate was a man named Lazarus just begging for a piece of bread. He was just hungry, you know, and, and had nothing. And it says they both died. And it says the angels came and carried, carried Lazarus away, and he went to paradise. It's also called the bosom of Abraham, but he went to a place called paradise. It says this, the rich man died and went to hell. Well, we know from this account, not a parable, we know from this account that in heaven and in hell, they had self-identity and self-realization of what was going on. Because the rich man cried out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over here to dip his fingers in water and cool my tongue because I'm in such great torment. So the rich man knew where he was. He could feel the pain of the torment, and he wanted his torment to be relieved. And Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. And Father Abraham said, you know, in your lifetime you had all your good things, but you got nothing now. Lazarus, in his lifetime, he had nothing except his love for the Lord, and now he has his reward. So we have to realize the decisions that we make in this life are eternal decisions. And people who think life is only about this life, they're really deceiving themselves. Because here's what I'm trying to share with you, and I'm not trying to make anyone frightened. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. None of us can be 100% sure we'll be here tomorrow. I'm not trying to be, you know, dramatic or anything like that, but we could go out and get killed in a car accident. You know, crazy things happen. So we have to realize that we need to make these important decisions now, and that decision is to ask Jesus Christ into our heart to forgive our sins and to take over our life. And then the responsibility that we have as believers, every single one of us, is to go out and to make disciples, to make believers of all people and encourage them in the Lord. Well, that's our responsibility. You know, in, um, you can't receive an assignment if you're not in the place of active duty. You know, I was in the Army, and, and I'm sure many of you here, in fact, I know many of you here were in the military. And if uh, you just skipped out, you left post, you know, went 
AOL or became a deserter. That's after you're gone a certain time of AOL. If you just left, guess what? You're not going to receive orders. You're not going to receive an assignment because you're gone AWOL. Well, you know what? There's a lot of Christians that have gone AWOL. <laughs> you know, they became part of the church. They're believers. They've committed them, their lives to Christ, but they're just out there. They're not where they need to be to receive their orders because a good soldier, man or woman, they receive their orders from the Lord and they carry them out. But we have to be where we can hear from him. That's in church and fellowship, but it's also in the word. Because we have to realize, in fact, I love this. In in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. How wonderful, talking about the church. And it says, they devoted. You know what the word devoted means? They're committed. They devoted themselves um, to the apostles' teaching. That would be like coming to church. To fellowship, fellowshipping with the Lord, fellowshipping with one another around the word, praising God, and to the breaking of bread, sharing meals together, taking communion, and to prayer. They're so important. They devoted themselves. They committed themselves to that. Because we have to understand that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're his ambassadors. He's imploring us to be his ambassadors everywhere we go. But brothers and sisters, how, how often do we just have these little dots of time we're really devoted to the Lord? Well, I go to church every week. Well, good, I'm glad you do. This is where you're going to be you know, taught the word of God. You should be here. But if that's the only relationship you have with the Lord, it's a little dot. Everything you do, every breath you take, should be in thankfulness to the Lord. And everywhere we go, like at work, when you go to work, men and women, when you go to work, you should be the best worker there. Not because you want people to look at you and say, oh, they're the best worker there. You should be the best worker there as a testimony of Jesus Christ. I mean, a lot of times Christians go to work and they just see what they can get away with. You should be the best worker there. And when you get into the Word of God, get into the Word of God. I'm not just reading. Yeah, I, I, I went to Sacred Melodies and I bought this 28-day uh, reading plan. Well, good. That's fine. But the fact is, you're in the Word of God to hear from the Lord. If you're in the Word of God, you might read two verses of Scripture and you're done for the evening because you're blown away and you're sitting there thinking about it. And you might read a whole book. All depends. But you need to be in the Word. But you also need to be in prayer, talking to the Lord, making your requests, knowing to him, and praying for one another. How often do we spend time praying for one another or just for our own needs? We're very self-centered people, aren't we? I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. We're, we're very self-centered. And when we go to prayer, oh, God, I just pray that you'd give me this, I pray you'd give me that, and make my children do this, make my children do that, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You want to have a formula for prayer that's awesome? 
And I guarantee you, if you use this formula, I really do. The first time you use it, you're going to pray for at least a half hour, maybe more. And just think of the book of the Bible, Acts, A-C-T-S. Your prayer should start off with adoration. Glory to your name, O God, creator of heaven and earth. You're worthy. Adoration. C, confession. God, forgive me, a sinner. Forgive all of my sin and transgression, Lord. Help me, Jesus. And then, of course, you lay out all the specifics. Then the T of Acts, A-C-T, is, Lord, I just thank you for all you've done. I thank you for all you're doing. I thank you for the life that I have. I thank you for everything that you've given me. And then the S, supplication, is the very last part of our prayer. Lord, I pray that you would do this for me or help me in this area or do this for my family, and I'm praying for this particular person and that. And you should have a, a, a list of people you're praying for. There, you know, we have, um, what's it called? The prayer chain? The prayer vine. And it's, um, but what is the other thing we call it? The sheep thing? Flock note. Yes, the sheep flock. But we have Flocknote, too, that gets out there. And, it, and people put prayer requests on it. Write them down. Think of them. Pray for them. God answers prayer. You know, and um, I just can't encourage you enough to realize that when you study books like Numbers and you think it's just, what does all that mean? But like in the portion that Pastor Frank Jr. covered and the portion I'm covering, what did it talk about? Very specifics that each one was meant to do. Because this is our church. It's not my church. Burien Calvary Chapel doesn't have on its title, belonging to Frank Thomas. This is our church. We're incorporated as a church. This is our church. It belongs to all of us, and all of us are to serve in this church together. And brothers and sisters, I think especially, in fact, in that portion of Thessalonians that I was talking about, do not forsake the gathering yourself together and all the more. And it's, but listen, listen to what it says. And all the more as you see that day approaching. It's approaching. It's approaching. It's right on us. And so we have to realize, what am I doing for the Lord? Or is the only thing I think about is myself? Now, understand, it's normal to think about yourself. It is. And there's a certain part of thinking about yourself that's good. You know, you get up in the morning, you think, you know, I probably should brush my teeth and wash my face and put on clean clothes. That's a good thing, you know. But it can get to a place where all you think about is yourself. Consider the needs of others above your own, Scripture says. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and our greatest desire is to be your servant, to do your will and purpose. And I pray, Father, that everything that we've looked at and studied this afternoon would encourage us in our faith and in our walk. And so, Lord, we pray all these things and give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends. Have a wonderful day.